Welcome to the show, I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. Well, the world's 7.9 billion people currently consume more than 1.7 times what the Earth can supply. And it's estimated that we're gonna to need to produce 70% more food to feed the world by 2050. With predictions of climate change causing increasing flooding, droughts, and other negative impacts, things like crops and even the land we live on could be in short supply. It's clear that if food production is to remain sustainable, new approaches need to be incorporated both on an international and a local level, which means there's a role for each and every one of us in addressing this potential crisis. So this week, I'm pleased to welcome Michelle Vergaro and Tony Auden from Revive Nosara, a Costa Rica-based initiative that revives communities through collaborative relationships. With regenerative agriculture, these producers are not just sustaining their current land resource, but also making it better for the future and improving it for the next generation. We're then gonna come back home to Newfoundland and Labrador, where we visit with Nathan Gidge from Gambo, Newfoundland, and find out about his sustainable food production project called Kingfisher Farms, which is doing amazing things right here at home. There's so much to cover in today's episode, so let's join into my conversation with Michelle from Revive Nosara. Hi, Michelle. Welcome to the show. Hi there. How are you? Uh, great. Well, it's nice to meet you again. We met recently when I was down in Costa Rica. But can you tell our listeners all about yourself and what brought you to Costa Rica? Well, I'm originally from New York and uh, I had to move and, from my apartment and get a new job and do all sorts of new life things. And I thought instead of moving an hour from Manhattan to Brooklyn, let's just go further. <laughs> you ended up doing that. You worked in media, right? And you actually worked on some projects in the area and everything? I did. I worked uh, with my ex-husband in film production. We had a company called Concrete Brothel, uh, yeah. which basically did uh, nightlife in New York projects. It was incredibly fun. I really enjoyed it. My main point was uh, producing and some editing. Well, that's good because you obviously are able to make an impact yourself. You're working right now on a project called Revive Nosara. You know, but before we get into that project, you know, you live in a very beautiful part of the world now. It's actually what's called a blue zone. Can you explain a bit about like your region and what makes it so special for health? Sure. Uh, one of the, the interesting things about blue zones is uh, it's there. There are places where you have the oldest people in the world concentrated. So each blue zone has its own charm to it in terms of diet and exercise and how it functions. Here in Nosara specifically, the blue zone here in Costa Rica is the Nicoya Peninsula, but Nosara specifically has amazing beaches and it's a lot of surf and yoga and very wellness orientated community. The blue zones, as far as I can see, their main line that is similar between all of them is a sense of community and a high, high respect for elders which I think is super important for longevity. These sort of community spaces allow you to exist longer. They just yeah. do. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's, it is true. There's blue zones all around the world, these little miraculous places where people live healthier, longer, and more fulfilled life. But your area is growing. So for example, I hadn't been there since the pandemic began. And when I came back, there were significant changes. There was so much growth in the area. How is that impacting the way that people did live and how healthy they were in the past now that you're becoming much more tourist oriented and you're growing with infrastructure? Uh, the development, particularly in Nosara, has been extreme, to say the least. Um, I, I think our development started pre-pandemic around 2014 with an article in one of the Condé Nast magazines saying that we had one of the best surfs in the world. Mm -hmm. And from that, there were droves of people coming at a clip. And then when the pandemic hit, 
I believe that, and I've talked to a bunch of realtors around town, people started buying here for homes more than buying for renting, which is a really big deal here. Like you buy a lot, you build a house and you just build it to rent, which sort of doesn't put your foot in the community. After the pandemic happened, we had a lot of families move here to start their lives. And one of the things that makes Nosar different than a lot of these tourist places is we have the Del Mar Academy and maritime law. Del Mar Academy is a, is a school that allows you, your child to go straight through high school. So you bring your family, you don't have to leave when your child is ready for an education. It's accredited throughout the world. And that coupled with the fact that you can't build a house within 200 meters of the shoreline at high tide is a big, big difference between like what everybody's talking about. Nassar would turn into a Hakka or a Tamarindo, which are tourist towns here that are very, you know, party orientated or just, I don't know, not this. Let's put yes. it like that. That's you can right. build on the beach. There's restaurants on the beach. There's two restaurants here on the beach that have been grandfathered in because they've been here forever. Otherwise, the beach is clear. There's not a restaurant. Yeah, I noticed that there. I mean, you see a tree line. It's like you're in the middle of nowhere. And even at its most full capacity, if you're trying to find a place, you can't find a place. It's still not that busy compared to some of the other touristy type areas, which I think makes it so special, a place I've visited so many different times. Now, you guys are doing an amazing community project there called Revive Nosara. Can you tell me a bit about this project and what this mission is? It's pretty exciting, I, I believe, I want to say. It's Revive. We've gotten into the habit. It's, it's Revive, but we've gotten into the habit of calling it Revive, which is uh, the same in Spanish, and it means the same thing. You know, our mission is to bring regenerative systems to the forefront of Nosara in, in all aspects. We have seven different pillars, which include uh, Revalue, which is a system and infrastructure that to reclaim waste, reduce pollution, and increase circular economies. Uh, Reconnect, which is uh, platforms and initiatives that provide equal access by, via local networks and education. Restructure, which is mutual ownership of local means of production through shared economies. Rewild, which is conservation. Rehydrate, which is to clean and protect the Nassara water. Rebuild, which is, our, which is a natural alternative to conventional building materials. These are things that are affected by exactly what you're talking about, the overdevelopment and the, the things that are happening now in Nassara. As things move and grow, there's, there's things that are going to change. And the problems are pretty in your face at this point and don't really require a lot more conversation. These seven pillars that I, I, I talk about hit all of the points of the problems that are happening in Nassara. We've come up with a lot of practical solutions that are, you know, they're not rocket science, man. It's really basically old, ancient wisdom mixed with a little bit of new technology. There's very little that needs to actually happen to make these programs work. They're all sort of mapped out, budgeted, et cetera. You know, our only block comes in resources. Um, Nosara uh, is special in so many ways, but one of the ways, particularly now that it's special, is that there's a lot of resource here and a lot of intention. Our hope is to marry those things to create a lot of systems that really at its core require resources and education. 
Yeah. I mean, when you think about Revive or Revive and all the replant, revalue, reconnect, it's because you're trying to restore something because you already had it down pat. That's what's so special about what you are. You're trying, you're not trying to create something new and better. You're trying to bring it back to its former glory or maintain its former glory. So that's important. Can we expand on a few of these different concepts that really stood out to me? The one that I thought was really important right now, and you talked about people working remotely and living there is, is reconnect. Can you tell me a bit about that and what that really means? Sure. I, I could talk for hours about that because that's my domain. Each mm-hmm. one of us has our own separate domains. Reconnect is, is, I believe, a space where we can come together and create a lot of value in the individual so that they feel ready to participate in the community. A lot of things, one of the things that happens here that to me is, is sort of difficult to watch is as the community grows, the, dis- the disparity between a sort of have and have not existence. Mm -hmm. And this side of the have not starts to lose out on its basic needs. So my hope in reconnect is to make that a little smaller and bring these two things together through different platforms and education. One of the things that I'm working on and quite frankly, sort of overwhelmed by is a time bank. I I believe that uh, a time bank is sort of a space where each person contributes and every time they contribute, they get a credit of an hour in the time bank. Hmm. So anybody can do that. And every hour is the same hour. So somebody that might not have access to preventative therapeutic massage suddenly because they've done gardening for someone over here has an hour in the time bank with a therapist. This to me is really exciting because it creates value where value is missing. Mm-hmm. Um, things like this, uh, as well as education through replant, reconnect happens. So, you know, community gardens and educating people in that area of community gardens, it allows people to come together and work together, get their hands in the dirt together. Things like this is, is what reconnect um, is striving for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's so funny to say that. I used to work in wellness and I would work in on ships in the middle of the ocean. And we used to say you couldn't get anywhere with anybody to try and help them unless you could get your feet under the table and have a meal with them and actually get on their level and have a chat and become friends, develop a relationship before you go. You know, I think that's massively important in community where we live. We live on an island and uh, it's really important where we are as well. The question, I guess, is why is a project like this so important for your community? And from that, what lessons can other communities take from a project like this? Um, I'm really glad you asked that, actually, because uh, I, I think that the seven pillars come together very nicely in the sense, again, as far as a, a regenerative and regenerative and circular economy. They all work together. I mean, replant feeds into ohms, ohms feeds into rebuild. They all sort of come together quite naturally without any effort on our part to come come up with a way that they do that. And because they do that, they have the ability to bring together a community. And going back to the um, specialness of Nosara, because we have so many people with such great intentions and so much resources, there's a huge part of me that really believes that we as Nosareños are on the precipice of creating a beacon for what could, you know, create these systems that could be dropped anywhere, really. Mm-hmm. And as we move forward and, and, and educate on the simplicity of them and create them, it, it's the, the road to, to showing the rest of the country and further out is not that far, man. Like it, it seems when I say it out loud, it seems like this huge thing. But when I think about it in my heart or rather feel it in my heart, the possibilities are endless. And when you start playing with possibilities, that's where the magic is. 
Well, it's so funny because I think quite often we always look to other people to solve the problems for us. But it sounds like in this case, the community has all the answers and they're the ones that can actually put into action and solve the problems for themselves. And that that, that sounds like a really easy formula, not an easy formula, but a very effective formula because who knows your community better than its own members. Exactly. And, and I think the community as a whole is just itching for some simplicity of systematic help. Mm. Now, another one that stood out to me, I just want to hit before we get off this, and that was revalue, because I thought that was a really interesting concept as well. Revalue is kind of an amazing thing here. And to me, it's, I'm, being from New York, these are, a lot of these systems are, were really foreign to me. You know, I find myself talking about poop more than I ever thought I would um, <laughs> as a New Yorker. Um, I find revalue to be a really fascinating space because um, it takes the things that are already here that we regard as waste and puts them right back into work. It's amazing. Um, we have the OMS projects, which is our organic waste management, which, ha which has a lot to do with uh, recovering yard waste. Because there is so much development and there's a lot of just piles and piles of yard waste, coupled with all the, the stuff that comes down to build new places. All of these things can be picked up on a route and taken to a resource center where they'll be reused for compost, biochar, bioenergy. Really, again, it, it's all about marrying the resources with the plan. Um, mm -hmm. The plan is there. It's not that hard. We have permits at the, uh, waiting at the mayor's office. I, I mean, it's the simplicity of it boggles my mind. If you would have asked me 10 years ago, how does one do this? You know, I'd be like, well, maybe we should call NASA and bring them in, and, you know, like. But it's nothing like that, man. It's it's simplicity. I mean, we are as human beings regenerative machines, mm -hmm. you know, from our core to the outside to the skin, yeah. and that applies from a mac to a macro level as well. And that's great. And what you guys are doing is so so important. So I really uh, appreciate you taking the time. Is there anything you want to leave our listeners with that are thinking this project sounds amazing? Maybe I could do something even on a small scale where I live. Oh my gosh, absolutely. One of the things that I really love about Reviva is that uh, we offer you the opportunity to play in a space that maybe you've not had to the ability to do so before. It's done that for me. I know that for sure. So if any of these domains interest you at all, please go to our website, revivenosara.com and send me an email. If you want to learn more about any one of those domains, I'm happy to talk your ear off about it. If there's anything that you want to play with and participate, I invite you and with the hopes of inspiring you to do it in your own space or come on down and do it with us or do it with us remotely. Yeah. There's a plethora of opportunity. Well, thank you so much for taking the time today. It was great to talk to you. Thank you, Mike. It was a pleasure. We're talking sustainable food production today. And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Revive Nosara and Tony Auden, whose focus on replanting and rewilding is something we can all learn from. Stick around. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back. We're here with my friend, Tony Auden. He's a resident of Guanacosta for almost 10 years and has been immersed in the organic agriculture and local permaculture projects in Nosara. On a recent trip to his home, he showed me their community gardens and how they're helping promote sustainable food production. Let's check it out. Hey, Tony, welcome to the show. What's up, Mike? Good to see you, bro. <laughs> Good to see you too. I've seen you so much lately. It's crazy. Yeah, it's so cool. So cool. <laughs> Live in different parts of the world. But, you know, when I was down there last time and I got a chance to see the project you were working on, I had no idea how big the Revive Nosara program was. But really, you've got a real focus within that program. And that's a lot on the sustainable agriculture. Tell me a bit about yourself and like why that is something that's passionate for you. Oh, man. You know, I've 
I, I love nature to begin with, you know, and agriculture is just a, a good excuse to kind of get involved with it a little bit more. And obviously you can, you know, produce a little food for yourself as well. And, and it's a good way to connect with, with plants, with animals too, you know, and, and with other human beings who are like-minded, you know, in, in my domain, in agriculture, it seems like everybody's on the same page and on the same team. You know what I mean? There's no competition. We're all working for the planet and to eat healthy and to live sustainably. So mm-hmm. um, I, I dived into it as soon as I got here, like, 10 years ago but yeah since Revive it's been like two years with these guys and it's kind of blew up and, and it's been it's been a really educational and fascinating journey for me to go deeper into this this wonderful world of you know agriculture permaculture forestry it's, it's endless really and it's it keeps me it keeps me on my toes every well, day that, that's a, that's a value of living in a rainforest and i mean you know when i first met you about five years ago i'd say i remember that you had a big garden at the place you live uh, it's well up on a mountain for anybody just imagine looking out over the ocean and having these tiered gardens and that was something you were passionate about and then when yeah, i came right. down now you're part of this project and uh, so how did you get involved specifically with the project um well you know when the pandemic hit it was pretty affected out here especially the tourism industry for at least six months everything was shut down and so you know, it felt natural for me because I've been juggling the surf scene and the agricultural garden scene. Um, and obviously when the pandemic hit, I went full in on the agricultural scene and a lot of people, friends, family, neighbors, we all got together with the same kind of vision of, well, we've got to be a bit more autonomous. Let's, let's produce food. And obviously when you have a team, cause you know, like when it's me on the mountain, it's good. It's good. It's good. It's good fun. But when uh, you have a group of friends and family all together working on it, then you can really start you know, really developing larger gardens and really seeing real results. You know, agriculture is definitely one of those things that um, it's, you know, one plus one make three, you know, when you're working with your brothers. And so it's still growing, really. Well, that's right. And, you know, it's, it's a hot topic in the world right now is sustainable farming in Newfoundland. It's hard for us to grow food. We've got a, a very short growing season. It's a lot colder than other parts of the world. So yeah. how do you define sustainable farming? Um, well, that's a good question. It's uh Personally, you know, I think it's about the impact that you leave on the land and it's your, the way that you approach the land that you're going to develop or farm. I think sustainable farming is really about uh, leaving as little of a footprint as possible. I think Revive is going above and beyond the sustainable domain. We're trying to be, I mean, this is, this is an international move right now. Sustainability is kind of, you know, uh, don't overuse the resources, make sure you replenish what you're using, but regenerative agriculture or regenerative systems try to, you know, better them right now because we've, we've destroyed the planet. We've, we've left such an impact that now it's more than just kind of leaving the baseline at zero, but having a positive impact on the land, you know, regenerating soil, uh, bringing back water, you know, soil is becoming an endangered resource, you know? And so it's, it's, it's not about using it and bringing it back. It's about actually creating more, so that we can we can heal the planet, you know, through agriculture and still obtain a yield, still obtain food and, you know, live wonderfully. Yeah. Without without leaving a big impact. And like you said, there's some challenges that farmers have. You said things like soil, you know, people might not think of that. But what are some of the challenges that people face when they're actually trying to leave this small footprint, but also, you know, create food and, and, and provide that for people? Well, I think a big challenge, you know, in sustainable agriculture is, is, is the time factor, you know, uh, building soil is, you know, when you start working with nature and working with the natural systems, nature definitely has like a slower timeline than what the human mind wants to, you know, we want things now fast, bigger, faster, stronger, even our products, you know, we want bigger tomatoes because they sell better on the market. But in the, in the end, if you look back, we've actually hurt ourselves, we've shot ourselves in the foot um, by trying to get ahead. So these things kind of make us slow down. Because soil, like planting water, you know, a lot of our reservoirs are going dry, but like 
because we've cut down a lot of the forests, right? You take yeah. down trees and all of a sudden and water erodes, causes flooding. The move from, you know, conventional farming to kind of sustainable or organic farming is like, you know, a five-year move. And so this is a big mm. challenge right now because everybody knows that we need to make the changes happen, but it's not something that can happen overnight. But again, it's, you know, it happens step by step with uh, small projects, small endeavors, um, and hopefully over time they, they grow. And this is, what, this is what we're doing here bit by bit, you know, just you, me, and my friends, you know, trying to yeah. build soil for our little garden, you know, and that's, that's how it starts. And it's fun. So, you yeah. know, I'm not in a rush. Oh, that's perfect. That's great. It's funny because there's a big move in our area. We've got so many natural uh, plants that come up seasonally and foraging's big. And it's one way we can kind of get that organic vibe to things. But let's talk about some of the projects that you guys are doing to help those ecosystems. And so one of the ones is uh, you've got a network of uh, gardens. But what other projects do you have before we get into that topic? Well, we have many parts now. We have an educational side of things where we're trying to just like, we've, we've offered a permaculture design course. We're actually offering a new one in August, I believe. If you're interested in it, you can uh, just communicate with us for sure. It's a way of just educating anybody to the, you know, the basic permaculture principles and uh, introducing them to the different kind of bioclimates and what we have here specific to Nosara. We have, aside from the educational side, we've built, uh, well, we started a community garden. Now we have another one. We're trying to get a seed bank together so that we're a little bit more autonomous in terms of sourcing our seeds. We started a kind of a land development agency, sustainable land development, which is pretty much planting a lot of trees and um, a big effort to increasing the, 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 the biodiversity. Because as you know, Nosara or Guanacaste in general, 50, 60 years ago was kind of all the forests were cut down for cattle. Now it's, you know, the, the cattle industry is lowered. So the forest is slowly growing back, but the, it's nice to have a human impact to really bring back the biodiversity because it's not just going to happen by itself. Some, there are some tree species that unless we reintroduce them, might not show themselves up again out here. And a lot of the local flora and fauna is dependent on biodiversity to, to really thrive. Hmm. Yeah. And I mean, that takes some, that takes some education, like you said. And when I was down there, I got the opportunity to come down and see one of your community gardens and yeah. people, people were coming in and they were, they were helping. So what experience do they need to come and work with you in that garden? Oh, no, none at all, man. Just, uh, just, you know, good intention and a good attitude or not even that, you know, just the will to learn. The idea is not to like, the idea is really, again, to inspire people and to show them how nice it is to, you know, pluck a little basil leaf and smell it and take it home and, you know, cut a little lettuce or whatever, take your chiles or your tomatoes and what and all that stuff. And the idea is, uh, yeah, just to, to create a space where people can, you know, reconnect with, with, uh, with gardening, getting their hands in the dirt. So we have two days a week that are open to the community, two days, two afternoons a week where the doors are wide open and you just show up and I'll guide you when we have different projects. You know, we try to do different things based on, on the needs. So maybe we're turning compost piles or maybe we're putting seedlings in seedling trays or whatever. But in the end, everybody comes out with a basket full of produce, you know, so they, they give us a couple hours and you go home with a bunch of produce and new friends are made. And you can, it's a great way to connect. And, you know, sometimes we're just like dancing to reggae music, you know, it's, yeah, just, a, yeah. it's just good vibes. Yeah, it's, it's really cool, actually. Well, you know, that's the thing I think is nice about it, too, is it was a relatively relaxed situation. Some people could be a little bit intimidated trying something new. And when I think about like organic and all the different categories of like what's considered healthy these days, it seems so strict and so regimented, you know, like, right. is that really necessary or is what you're doing like, you know, more than sufficient when it comes to making healthy food? Oh, you, you do the best that you can with what you got, you know, like obviously you might have to, you know, especially here in the tropics, we have a lot of, you know, pests and it's, it can be challenging. But to me, the rule of thumb is if, if it's natural, you know, like when I, I spray my plants twice a week, you know, I put on a backpack spray and I spray it. 
But if I, if I touch the sprayer and put it in my mouth, no problem. You know, it's made with peppers. It's made with ginger. It's made with all kinds of natural things. Um, now, if you want your organic certification stamps that you can sell your produce in a supermarket with your organic, then you have to jump through a whole lot of loopholes and it becomes a very bureaucratic process. Yeah. Um, some people might need to do it because, you know, they're developing large businesses and need it. But I think in general, it's just about being able to do what you can, grow your own food with what's around you. So you don't have to be dependent on large firms selling you pesticides, you know, or, or trucks bringing in materials from 300 kilometers away. No, everything. I mean, at least here in the tropics, within a one kilometer radius, I can gather all of my materials to build good soil um, and to grow good food. It's just a matter of educating myself because there's a massive disconnection right now. A lot of people don't know what's in the soil, uh, what makes good soil, but it's right there in your backyard. You know, it's just a little bit of effort and then you can reconnect with your natural environment. And, you, and you, you do your best. In the end, you use your feelings. If it feels right, go for it. You know, if it feels weird, maybe do a little bit more research. Yeah. Well, that's right. And that kind of leads me to, you know, the overall scope of the show. The show is about wellness. And I know that you are somebody who takes wellness very seriously, but in a very healthy way towards it. You know, what you know, farming season and, and gardening season is coming up here in Canada. You know, somebody might want to improve their health and, and get into gardening. What does that do for you for your wellness to be out in the garden? Well, I think on a, on a practical, just, you know, what's in your food, right? So you're not being scammed by somebody else. So, you know, and you control what's in your food. So that's, you know, on a, on a physical level, but on a, on a more spiritual level, you could say, it's nice to have that connection of with, with a plant, you know, even if it's just having a little basil plant in a pot, um, you, it's like having a pet all of a sudden, you're not just, it's not this external thing that you buy at the store. It's a living being, which connects you to all living beings around the planet. And then when you ingest it, you're, you're ingesting more than just the plant. You're ingesting life in general because then you've had that connection. You've seen it grow. So it doesn't have to be, you know, I only eat organic or I only eat um, what I need to produce all of my food out of the garden. No, just, it's just having a connection with the natural environment that's around you. And plants are a huge part of that, you know, but some people are into plants. Some people are into, you know, fungus and mushrooms. It doesn't matter. It's, it's connecting with your food source and realizing that, it too is alive and I too am alive. And then there's a bridge that's being made that can kind of ground you and make you feel a little bit more connected to, to, the, to the planet as opposed to living in a, in a very disconnected world, you know, just going to the supermarket and buying things that come from 500, you know, cross country. You're, you're kind of forced to live with the seasons and forced to understand the space that you're in. And, and that really just leads you to appreciation. Mm -hmm. And I think of all healthy things to have is appreciation is one of the healthiest vibrations to have inside of your body, you know, and gardening is, is an easy way to go about that. Again, like I said, even if it's just one basil plant or rosemary, whatever happens to grow in your environment, you know, mm -hmm. it's a living being. It's like having a pet. Mm -hmm. It brings you to joy into your heart. And that's the healthiest thing ever, you know? That's perfect. Yeah. I mean, you think about during the pandemic, you couldn't get like, you know, farming and gardening supplies around because everybody took it in. It's because they were looking for that connection. They're looking for something to keep them occupied and watch grow. I, I could totally see that. Now yeah. we're, we're starting to wind down here now, but there's any last thoughts you want to leave the listeners with about your program or even just about why they should, you know, be thinking about sort of sustainable farming and even projects like the Revive Nosara program. Oh, uh, you know, I think it's uh I think everybody across the planet knows that uh, things are changing, you know, and it might seem like this massive thing and, oh my God, I should run away and get into a cave somewhere and lock the doors and barricade myself in because the world, no, you know, I think if you just get your hands in the dirt or do what you really love with nature, you'll see that nature is much stronger than we give her credit for. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's just a matter of getting out of your head and getting out there. 
And, you know, for me, it's plants, but some people are into, you know, a sustainable building or some people are into like, again, making new systems to, to, to connect people and communities, whatever really um, gives you hope in this, in this changing world. Don't be afraid of the scale. Just take little steps and all of a sudden you'll be happy. And then your happiness is, will be infectious, you know? Mm-hmm. So again, it doesn't have to be in the garden. If gardening, you know, I have mad friends that I work with every single day that are like systems designers, others are builders and their buildings, not uh, gardening is not their thing, but we're totally aligned on the same vibe. We're, we're creating a better world. We're creating a new world and we're doing it here in our backyard. Simply. We're not trying to, you know, change the whole planet, but eventually this is what will change the planet. I believe. If enough projects like yours catch on and everybody starts doing it, it's like uh, pennies and nickels make dollars or eat your problems like elephants one bite at a time. And I'm really glad you guys are taking a bite out of the challenges you have in your community. And I, yeah, I, re- I really appreciate you taking the time to join us today, Tony. It's good to see you, man. Yeah, man. It's good to see you too. That was the team from Revive Nosara. When we come back, we'll talk with Nathan Gidge from Kingfisher Farms here in Gambo. He'll tell us about the amazing work that they're doing to solve the riddle of sustainable farming here in Newfoundland and Labrador. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back. Moving closer to home, Kingfisher Farms is located in Gambo, Newfoundland and addresses sustainable food production by designing, in partnership with his clients, new ways to live a more sustainable lifestyle. Nathan Gibbs joined us to talk about how he and his family-run business is growing organic, sustainable food right here in Newfoundland and sharing their knowledge, experience, and support with people who want to learn how to integrate permaculture and sustainable practices into their lives, ultimately allowing them to make a difference. Nathan joined me after a day working on his farm to share all about their exciting project. Let's check it out. Hey, Nathan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Michael. It's good to see you. I know you've had a busy day today. You uh, you have a, you have a farm, and you said you just got in uh, off the tractor. Tell us a bit about the farm. Where are you located? Uh, you know what kind of farm is it? Okay, so we're Kingfisher Farm. We are a permaculture, naturalist-based, organic farm in Gambo, Newfoundland. Um, we are out of sticks, but at the same time, we're right in town, so we got the best of both worlds. Oh, that's perfect. That's one of the benefits of Newfoundland. I live in Logie Bay. I'm just outside of town, but I get the benefit of lots of land and some cliffs with Beautiful. nice ocean to look at. So that's great. I mean, you know, you started a sort of a specialized farm. What motivated you to start this farm? And have you always sort of had a personal connection with farming? Uh, yeah, I've, I've always had a connection. with My parents had a farm when I was growing up. Nothing huge, but they kept animals and, and grew most of their vegetables. Um, I was an educator principal for 10 years and um, just kind of seen the, I guess, lack of understanding and the lack of knowledge about uh, around food, food security, sustainability, that, those kind of things, and really decided that I really wanted to wade into addressing some of those issues. I consider myself a soil farmer who grows vegetables and fruits and stuff as, as byproducts. So it, it all is based in the science of it and trying to understand how we can grow things better in our province, uh, different things we can grow in our province, because I think it's important that we start expanding our palate a little bit. Um, Newfoundland is notorious for being number one in the country for a whole host of um, bad reasons concerning health issues. 
So I think it's very important that we start looking at different ways to experiment in the kitchen and getting getting different uh, vitamins, minerals in our in our diets that are going to benefit us. I think it's 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 much better for us to take a proactive approach than than a reactive one when it comes to healthcare. So uh, yeah, I, I think the science. Uh, of it all really, really fueled my interest. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's such a great answer. It's so, it's so relevant. It's so true. We do have a lot of healthcare challenges here. We do have food security challenges in the way that we don't provide a lot of our own food. We saw that when, when storms happen, we can't get fresh produce. So, you know, <laughs> exactly. you, you saw the problem, you saw the challenge in front of us, which is quite a significant challenge, particularly the proactive side. You know, what's your vision and who do you work with? So we work, I'll address the second part of your question first. We work with our community and we've partnered with the Family Resource Center to provide free food for um, mostly new moms or, or families who, who need that extra bit of healthy food. Um, and we work with farmers right across the province, uh, networking with you know, uh, primary producers is, is, is a huge part of what we do and, and sharing knowledge. Um, the vision for uh, Kingfisher in particular, I guess, would be a hub of knowledge, resource, and kind of a new way of doing things. I would, uh, From the very beginning, we said we didn't want to do things in a way that didn't benefit the land, which sounds kind of, you know, airy-fairy, but um, we wanted to be ecologically beneficial in terms of actually um, improving and augmenting uh, the environment and the, the, the ecosystem around us. We judge the success of our farm by the population of our top level predators, which is a weird way of maybe looking at it, but the more lynx and fox we have, uh, the more it means there's a healthy rabbit and, and mice population, which means there's a healthy insect population, which means there's a healthy, bacterial population, you know, it goes on down the line and it, it really goes back to soil health. I spend a lot of time looking under a microscope, doing bacterial counts, uh, fungals, hyphae counts, protozoa, nematodes, those kind of things to see what stage of life our soil is in. Yeah. And, and that's, I think that's really the hub of what it's all about for us is making the ecosystem around us as healthy as it possibly can be and that and that includes the soil ecosystem which is yeah. the basis for everything for us yeah. so yeah i mean that's yeah. that's where it stems from it's so funny you're saying this because i literally got back from the museum of nature where i met with a biological anthropologist who talked about how important the big species are because they are an umbrella species that looks out for everything else and then our guest prior to you was talking about the importance of soil so you are uh, you know, you took the words right out of our mouths. It's perfect for what we're chatting about today. So you do a lot of good work for the community. You mentioned it just briefly there, but tell me about the Community Supported Agriculture Program. So our Community Supported Agriculture Program is kind of, uh, I was going to say twofold, but it's multifaceted, I guess is a better description. Um, so on the I guess giving back to the community side, we we donate food to um, the community, and they disseminate it to you know people in need. 
but our, our community supported agriculture program goes is a bit more than that. So what happens is we have people who actually uh, subscribe to be members of our farm. So they have a direct relationship with their food. So they, they understand where it comes from, the processes that are involved in making it, and they get weekly baskets of fresh fruits, vegetables, foraged goods, those kind of things from us in return. So it gives them a real sense of ownership because they can see directly where their investment is going. Mm -hmm. um, and it has the added benefit uh, for us of, um, well, there's a few things. First of all, it gives us a sense that we're, you know, we're directly feeding families, mm -hmm. uh, which, which is a great thing. It's not our produce is sitting on a shelf and we're not, you know, we don't know what's going on or if it's rotting or whatever, but we know what's going directly into kitchens, which is, it's, it's a very nice feeling. And the other thing, um, financially for us, it makes a lot of sense. The CSA program, uh, it's invested in upfront and then we can invest money into the farm before the season starts mm -hmm. when the important time for investment is. So uh, it works really well. Um, the other piece of it is the volunteer involvement in the community part. We do an annual uh, planting with small kids and we do different workshops, those kind of things, which, you know, that's fun. Uh, yeah. Being a former educator, that, that kind of scratches that itch a little bit of wanting to get out and teach again. So, um, yeah, we, we try to do as much as we can. And, and um, again, it's, it's all about um, making the ecosystem healthier. And that, in, that includes the human ecosystem too, right? So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah. We, we see it as being very important. Well, I mean, okay, you said you have to think outside the box when it comes to some of the crops we grow. Quickly list a few of the crops that you grow that might be a little bit different. Okay, so we grow. Let me think of the, the weird and wonderful stuff. Um, let's see. We do Welsh onions. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll just go through the onions we grow real quickly. We do Welsh onions, Kelsey onions, which are jumbo onions, about the size of almost half your head. Um, we do Egyptian walking onions. And then we do your standard onions just for the diversity of that's just onions. Um, we do hot peppers and sweet peppers. Those are pretty common. We do eggplant, uh, Japanese turnips. We do Chinese spinach, a lot of Asian greens, actually. Yeah. Um, we do hascat berries, pears. Um, what other crazy stuff do we do? Um, we do ice plant. Which is an which is a an edible green that flowers. We actually do a lot of edible flowers. People really enjoy them. Yeah, um, we produce a lot of garlic, but we do a garlic. Um, it's not standard uh, garlic that's grown in the province a whole lot. Most garlic grown in Newfoundland, Labrador is is what's called music. Mm -hmm. um, we grow a, a variety that the bulbs are much bigger. Ah, uh, what else do we do? We do cantaloupe, watermelon, mm. uh, just just yeah. a bunch of different stuff. Yeah. We're here with Nathan Gage from Kingfisher Farms in Gambo. He's talking about the amazing work they're doing to solve the riddle of sustainable farming here in Newfoundland and Labrador. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back. We're here with Nathan Gage from Kingfisher Farms in Gambo. 
He's talking all about the amazing work that they're doing to solve the riddle of sustainable farming here in Newfoundland and Labrador. Let's get back to the interview. There are some challenges here. You mentioned that it's, it's a tougher environment to grow foods. And why do we have so many challenges when it comes to sustainable lifestyles here in Newfoundland? I think there are solutions for those issues. I, I really do. I think, you know, there are, yes, there are roadblocks to sustainability in the province, uh, but um, I think they can be overcome. And the proof really is in our historical agricultural practices. Um, I can remember growing up, every house had their own little garden. Yeah. And they, everyone grew food and it was a, sh a sharing thing. If your potatoes didn't grow one year, then your neighbors did. Well, they gave you potatoes and you gave them carrots, whatever. It was a community, um, a community support system. And I we got away from that a little bit, I think. Uh, farming and agriculture became a little bit more commercial and a little bit more industrial. But I think now people are starting to see uh, the importance of maybe not getting back to that uh, everyone has a, a, a garden on their land, but at least their food should be local. Mm -hmm. uh, they should have accessibility to it. Um, mm -hmm. We sh They shouldn't live on an island where we have four days worth of food at the ferry shuts down kind of thing. It's, you know, it's a scary, a scary prospect. But I mean, that's the situation we're in. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, there are roadblocks, but there are solutions. Yeah, that's right. You have a research and development division. Tell me about that. Yeah. So what we're basically aiming to do right now, our, our major focus and project is to identify soil remediation through natural amendments that are found in Newfoundland and Labrador. So we don't have to bring things in. And I don't think anyone would be shocked for me to say that the cost of shipping and transportation right now is is through the roof so anytime you don't need to ship products in is a good thing so what we've been doing is experimenting with different uh, mulches and different teas compost teas so what we do in the fall we'll mulch with with a variety of mulches and then in the spring once those mulches have rotted into the ground a little bit um, i put the soil under a microscope and i send it away for um for testing, for trace element testing and, and, and mineral testing. So then I have a gauge of, well, did my mulch that was 50% crimson clover, 50% buckwheat, did that increase potassium? Did it increase nitrogen more than my cover crop of, say, kelp and straw? Uh, but more importantly for me, it's not about, and I think this is it's focused on a little bit too much. When people talk about the NPK of their soil, the nitrogen, phosphorus, and, and potassium of soil, and people kind of get fixated on that. Most soil in the world has enough N, P, and K to feed plants. The issue is it's not available to plants because there's not enough life in the soil to make it available to the plants. That's the issue. So what, what we really focus on is did my mulch of yarrow did that increase the bacterial life in the soil did the introduction of rugosa annulata mushrooms uh, wine cat mushrooms did they increase the fungal hyphae population in my soil because what i want for vegetables is a balance i want about a one-to-one -one ratio for vegetables if i'm growing shrubs 
I want a fungal heavy soil. If I'm growing early succession plants, greens mostly, then I would want a, a bacterial dominant soil. So what we're really doing is testing the life in the soil. And that's, that's where plant life kind of stops because they need those bacteria and the bacteria need them. I mean, root yeah. exudates and bacteria go hand in hand and that it, that's just how it is. So yeah, mm -hmm. our, our, our R&D right now is focused on the, the, the life in the soil. That's interesting. That's really interesting. Another thing you're doing though is uh, permaculture. You're a permaculture, a certified permaculture design consultant. And uh, you know what does that really mean, like for folks that are listening about uh, about farming and 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 wanting to get into something like that? The permaculture, the idea behind behind permaculture, excuse me, is the idea of balance with with really everything. It, it, it's the idea of living in balance with the ecosystem so that you don't have to work tremendously hard to produce food because you are enabling the natural systems and processes to do what they need to do. So um, the idea of um, holding and retaining water, that's a very simple permaculture principle. Wherever you can, you slow down water. And the idea is when you... Wherever there's water, there's life. And if you can slow down water and let it sink back into the, the water table and the groundwater in your soil, you're naturally going to improve the life in your soil and make your life easier. Mm -hmm. So it's not about having to go out every day with a garden hose and, you know, water your plants. It's about, okay, maybe I dig a swale, which is just a little trench with a hill on one side that slows down water and lets it seep in. Uh, maybe I do that around my plants and then the water can soak into the soil and then I don't need to water as often. Mm. Uh, maybe it's using a mulch so I don't need to water as often. It's those kind of, you observe uh, your land first is very important in permaculture. Observation is a huge thing. So you observe your land, you make note of, you know, where are there microclimates? Where's the sun at this time of day, at this time of year? Where's my water coming from? And you learn from the land. It's, it's, it's very multifaceted, but it's yeah. all about being smart about what you're doing. That's brilliant. I mean, that makes perfect sense to me. And look, I'm thinking about this the whole time of my land. I've got a little stream beside our house. We've got birds all over the place. We had gardens out back and my head is spinning. And that's, I guess that's the... You know, question I want to ask is like, what's your plans for the future? And you also provide some training to people about how to do this themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for the future, for us, we we have 15 acres of land here. But uh, again, going back to the permaculture, you don't, you know, cut down 15 acres and, and plant seeds on it. Uh, so 75% is left for um, forest, uh, forage forest food forest and for nature uh, so we leave that um, but then what we would like to do in the future is expand the farm to about two acres and and that's based on a lot of research that says that two acres is about the maximum that a family on its own can can manage effectively um, and we want to continue on doing what we're doing really but expanding and doing things slowly and we do things slowly on purpose so that we can learn from it 
Um, but we want to do things the right way. And that is, I think, um, at the core is, is learning from nature and trying to mimic it as much as possible because nature's been doing it for hundreds of millions of years. I, I think nature's got it figured out. So the closer we can get to mimicking that, the better uh, in our garden. Um, so yeah, so for the future, it's very much about applying what we've learned and doing things smarter and, and, and better and trying to solve some of the issues. Mm-hmm. And yes, um, you, I do, I can, uh, help people with their gardening practices as the, the certified permaculture design consultant. Um, and I've, I've done a few for people already, um, it is very much consultation uh, in terms of, you know, I, I, I go to their land, I'll check out their land, um, do that a few times. And we'll talk about what plants can go where, what they can do to improve their soil conditions, what they can do to get started on compost. It's really the full, you know, depending on what you want to do and how much you want to do, we go through the whole, the whole mm-hmm. kit and caboodle kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that comes with uh, whenever someone wants that, then it comes with a full, it almost looks like a business plan, but it's a full permaculture design for their land. So it's a gray water system, it's water collection, it's composting, it's the garden beds, it's the food forest, it's it's the whole nine yards. So, wow. yeah. Very, very cool. Very cool stuff. Now, if somebody wanted to learn more about your farms, how can they uh, find you? They find you on social media or websites or how? Oh, yes, they can find us on social media. I'm not very social media savvy, but yeah, they can find us on Facebook, Kingfisher Farm, um, Instagram, same thing. And then on our website, kingfisherfarm.ca. Awesome. Well, is there any last thoughts you want to leave our listeners with? Because you seem to be leading the charge when it comes to sustainable farming here in the home. Uh, just just go out and, and plant something. I mean, it sounds so simple. Um, there is no better therapy than being in the garden. There's nothing more relaxing and there's nothing more rewarding. It's, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. And like I said before, plants want to grow, go out and put it in the soil and give it a bit of water and you'll be amazed at what you can get come up. So, you know, just, just enjoy it. Get out and enjoy it. Well, you're, you're speaking my language right there. I hope everybody's listening to this that decides to get their uh, hands a bit dirty this summer and try and grow something, even if it's something small. Nathan, thank you so much for taking the time today. I really, really appreciate you uh, you spending this hour with us. Absolutely. Thank you, Michael. Thank you to my guests who, although they're thousands of miles apart, are aligned and are both headed in the exact same direction when it comes to creating harmony in our ecosystems while providing sustainable solutions for our food. If you're interested in learning more or visiting either of our guest groups in action, you can reach out to Tony and Michelle by visiting revivenosara.com. And if you want to stick closer to home, I highly recommend reaching out to Nathan at Kingfisher Farms. You won't regret spending time with either of these groups. So good luck this growing season, and thanks for tuning in. We'll see you back here next week for another episode of The Wall Show on your VOCM.